is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio, with thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, here's Todd Bergaff. Hey, thanks for joining us for the podcast once again today. And joining us on the telephone from the Twin Cities is Cal Soderquist. He is the studio host for the Minnesota Timberwolves Radio Network. Cal, thanks for uh, sitting in for Allen today. I appreciate it. He's traveling uh, with the team. Uh, tell us where they're headed to. Yeah, long road trip ahead. Um, they were they were just at home for three straight, and now they'll head to our nation's capital. They've, they've got the Wizards coming up on Wednesday, first of uh, four straight away from home. So happy to happy to sub in for him while they're en route to the destination. Yeah, Washington, then Brooklyn, and then down to Texas and Oklahoma for a couple of games. So, um, yeah, four-game stretch here. And the team heading out on the road, uh, having had their ears burning from some of, <laughs> some of the comments from their head coach after last night's game, who, let's say, was less than pleased with how things went. You're right, yeah. It's probably maybe for the best that they, they get out on the road and kind of adopt that, you know, us-versus-everyone mentality. Sometimes... We see things galvanize, um, you know, when a team has a, a poor performance on their home floor. Really, we haven't been able to say that much nope. this season about the Wolves and, and how they've played at Target Center. But, yeah, last night, uh, you know, you get scored, what was it, 39-18 to 18 over the final 12 minutes and change. Yeah. Uh, Chris Finch, like, like you alluded to, did not pull any punches in his postgame press conference that he used. Use the word disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, he said something to the effect of, "We got exactly what we deserved." Uh, you know, immature. So yeah, he he doesn't usually let his emotions get the best of him, and, and obviously he delivered those those words and, and statements and, and somewhat of a calm manner. But you could tell he was not pleased with um, really. I, I think the full forty eight minute effort. He had mentioned how. He tried to get everyone back on track at halftime, even when they had the five-point lead at the half. But, yeah, the Wolves, uh, a special night for Carl Anthony Towns offensively, but they were mostly disinterested in, in playing defense or, or really playing basketball the right way, period. Yeah, it was amazing, the run that Towns had in that first half to put up 44 in the half. And then he had probably his worst free-throw shooting night of the season. He missed four free-throws. I don't know if he's missed four free-throws in a game in his career, uh, he's that he's that good a shooter and still goes for 62. Uh, what, he has the franchise's top three or is it four scoring performances in single games? So he was just on fire. Unfortunately, that got guys standing around a little bit. Yeah, it's a tough thing to, to balance. And, you know, the Wolves certainly, guys, Anthony Edwards said it after the game. I'm sure almost every player that was out on the floor with Cat would say similar that, when he gets in a zone, you know, you said 44 at the half, uh, they, they wanted to feed him. They were having fun with him. They were kind of riding that, that emotional high with him. And really for the first three quarters, he had, he had 58 points through three quarters. I think he was 10 of 14 from deep uh, through those first three quarters. And it was, it was coming in the flow of the offense. And that's a big reason why they were able to build a lead as large as 18 late in the third quarter. But then I think, you know, he, he had the franchise record of 60, so he was two points off that. I, I would not be surprised. I'm not sure if, we, if we've heard this uh, confirmed, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the players got into the locker room at halftime. Cat had the 44, and about an hour ahead of him, Joel Embiid was doing something special in Philly, 
he finished with 70, uh, but that game tipped off an hour earlier. So I wonder if players or assistant coaches kind of, you know, were made aware and made Cat aware that there was another big night happening and it it almost became sort of a a competition in that sense. But, yeah, early in the fourth quarter, uh, you could tell Cat was forcing it a little bit. His teammates were forcing it. And the other kind of thing that, that sometimes goes under the radar is it's fun to feed your teammate and get him extra looks, and, and he's having a, a you know a, a really special night by all accounts. But then when the game tightens up and, and Charlotte makes a run, um, and you need either Anthony Edwards or or Nikhil Alexander Walker or other guys to either make a play or or execute for themselves or others, they're they're almost kind of cold. You know, the game is three quarters old, but all they've been doing is is passing to a teammate and standing and, and marveling. Um, so I think that they kind of uh, fell victim to that a little bit in terms of you know some of the turnovers we saw in the fourth quarter. Anthony Edwards had a really tough night shooting the basketball. We don't have to say that. So yeah, it was almost the perfect storm, right? In, in yeah. terms of Cat was hot enough to basically carry them uh, to that big lead through three quarters, but then because he was so hot, it, it ended up burning them uh, down the stretch of that fourth. Uh, season-high 11 assists, I think tying a season-high for Anthony Edwards. Might be his career-high, uh, too, uh, with, with those 11 assists. But he was really passive in the first half. Now, I was, uh, uh, you know, understanding that he had some sickness and flu, and they weren't sure if he was going to play or not. So, you know, it, it's possible that Towns looked and said, boy, Conley's going to sit. Uh, Ant is really sick. He's going to want, not want to, uh, you know, score 30 points tonight. I have to take over. And it, it seemed like Cat was just so focused to begin the game on making sure that they were uh, getting in the offensive flow, and, and that was on him. Maybe it was in part because of guys who were either not playing or were sick. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And Cat had even mentioned post game that all the way up to shoot-around earlier that day, he had told his teammates, you know, I, I'm feeling really good, that the shot's looking good. He'd been getting pretty constant encouragement from not only the coaching staff, but some of the veterans like Mike Conley, Kyle Anderson, like, hey, let, let that three-point shot fly. Like, that, it's, it's actually a key part of this offense. Um, we've, we've talked a ton about Anthony Edwards and his decision-making. He's seeing a lot more defensive attention, a lot more double teams. And Cat being a, a constant threat from deep is, is one of the elements that, that makes this offense more dangerous. So I think he had it in his mind, yeah, that he was going to be extra aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised if you know, considering Mike Conley sitting this one out, like like you said, if, if Ant maybe had it in his head that, hey, I'm going to have to be more of a facilitator. You know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker got the start in Conley's place, but he's not necessarily a traditional point guard. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ant took it a little more on himself. But then when you – I think he got his first points in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you go so long without without kind of establishing your own rhythm as, as one of the team's you know, obviously go-to scores. I think Ant kind of put himself behind the eight ball a little bit, um, and give Charlotte credit too. You know, they they hung sure. around, they watched they watched a guy go for nearly sixty points on them in thirty-six minutes of action, and they a lot of teams in their situation could have folded it up and just sent triple teams at Cad and and you know lost the game by fifteen to twenty, but they kept chipping away. They hit some shots, and uh, I think a part of it, too, was Minnesota's defense was just not 
you know, we've, we've talked all season, you and Alan have talked about it, I'm sure, that the defense and the, the stingy defense from the Timberwolves has been their identity all year. Mm-hmm. It's the reason they've, they've racked up 30 wins already, and, and it was just non-existent last night. Yeah. You know, it's it's always a great matchup against uh, Charlotte in terms of, you know, Ant versus LaMelo Ball. Uh, that's the top two players taken in their draft class. And unfortunately, when we're looking at wins and losses, LaMelo has had the better of it. So uh, Ant, uh, you know, keep that in the back of his mind. That he, I mean, these guys know when they come out in the same draft class, they're looking uh, for each other. But so far, LaMelo's had the better of it. That's true. I think that the biggest knock on LaMelo, at least this season, Specifically, he just hasn't been able to stay on the floor. Yep. He missed six weeks earlier in the year with the ankle injury. But, yeah, he had 13 assists last night. He, uh, the three-point shot wasn't dropping for him, but but he's not afraid to let that fly. He still finished with 18 points. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he, I, 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 those guys might not admit it, but I'm sure at least in the back of their mind they're aware of where they each went in the draft and, and being linked to one another pre-draft. So you're right, that's, that's going to be something that as long as they're on these these two teams, they'll they'll kind of be linked in that way. Yeah, how how could they not be? Certainly. So you know, I think it seems as though the Timberwolves and have been wanting Cat uh, to take more threes. I mean, I think he's third on the team, if I'm not mistaken, in three point attempts behind Edwards and Connolly, and about the same number as Nas Reed. So he's so effective at better than forty four percent from out there. Is that something that they've kind of encouraged him to take more threes? I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's been a message from the coaching staff, and you know it's it's really interesting, and it's not an easy spot for Cat when you think of he's he's such a versatile skill set. You know, he he really has a couple steps inside half court is is when his range starts in terms of shooting, um, but he's a really good rebounder. And I think if if you had to zoom out and kind of talk about why this offense hasn't lived up to its potential probably the number one reason you'd get in an answer from Chris Finch or whomever the turnovers and and a lot of turnovers are you know certainly decision making but spacing is important too and i think whether you're trying to run a two man game with with either Mike Conley or Anthony Edwards getting a screen from Rudy Gobert and and trying to find the big man you know, at a, at a good point-blank range in the paint, Carl Anthony Towns, in his mind, often probably is looking to crash the glass and, and get in there and, and get offensive rebounds. Um, but that can sometimes create extra traffic, either on those passes to Rudy or, you know, Anthony Edwards if he's trying to get to the rim. So I think it's a, it's a, a, a tightrope that Cat has to walk a little bit where he's so valuable as a three-point shooter. He, he's He's one of the most prolific shooting big men of all time. Mm-hmm. We, we've discussed that at length. Um, but he's also not just a, a stand in the corner and, and be a threat, maybe like Jaden McDaniels is or, or Nikhil Alexander-Walker. We saw, you know, in that first half last night, we saw Cat scoring at all three levels. He was taking guys off the dribble. He had the uh, – uh, there was a lefty hook shot at one point that, that I was really impressed with over a defender. So he's – He's trying to do, obviously, he said all the time he wants to do what's best for the team, um, but but forcing him to, to be just a three-point shooter is also probably not the right approach and right. not maximizing his skill set. So it's it's not an easy ask of him. He's made a lot of sacrifices for this team uh, ever since that Rudy Gobert trade occurred, and, and I think so far this year he's done a really, really good job on both ends of the floor mm-hmm about doing what, what requires winning. You know, he's been running around on defense. I've been really impressed with 
some of his agility and having to guard smaller, quicker players when he's out there in the front court with Rudy. So overall, it's you just almost feel for the guy, right? He, yeah. he breaks his own franchise record. He had a special night scoring the basketball. And it's all going to now be looked at months from now or even years from now. It's going to be looked at as, as an embarrassing loss because of the final 12 minutes. And, and that, I don't think that's fair to him. It's, the, the loss is obviously not only his fault, um, but it's, it's just the reality. And it's, it's a really a, a tough way to look at it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, terrific performance by Towns. But uh, unfortunately, even when you have 62, there's maybe a few little things could have done better uh, at the end of the game to help with that win. Uh, Rudy Gobert, of course, uh, uh, a bit of a polarizing figure after the trade and, you know, uh, throughout his career. But, boy, he this year he's gotten on the same page. Even he talked about last year he never really felt comfortable. You know, he didn't play with Towns most of the season because of his injury and that that changed this year. And and a lot of talk about the offseason playing for their international teams and how that kept guys' game sharp and then they all came together at the end and and the chemistry is really so much better this year. I think so, and I think Rudy is is especially a player. You know, there's there's not too many in the league where it probably is really important to have an on court chemistry with them in terms of where they where he likes his passes, um, how he's going to set his screens, so many different things, or even just look at the defensive end, right? Like I think last year too often guys were a little too carefree either going for steals in the perimeter or letting guys get by them because they just assumed, yeah, Rudy's back there. He's got me covered. But mm-hmm. really the defense can be that much more dangerous when it when it's all in tandem and, and you know when Rudy's going to help out, but also they still move as a shell, as a collective five-person unit out there. Um, but yeah, for guys like Anthony Edwards, I think his chemistry with Rudy on some of the lobs, Really, it's been everyone that, that's out there sharing the floor with him. But I think of some of those guys who've been more playmakers in, in finding Rudy. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but certainly I would guess um, in terms of assist numbers that have gone to Rudy, sure. probably Mike, Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, maybe even Kyle Anderson, and even Cat has, has shown a, a, a great ability to find him in his spots where he has high percentage looks. And maybe we should have known that it would take longer than, you know, it wouldn't click instantly last year. Mm-hmm. I think back to when Mike Conley came over just in, in front of the trade deadline from Utah, mm-hmm. and he obviously had experience as a teammate with Rudy, and, and he told people right away, like, it, it took us a full season to really get that chemistry down. The two of them ran the pick and roll so often with, with, with great effect. And he was very honest in saying that it took about a full year to really get that in lockstep where it, it felt like it was second nature. So here we are now now more than a year in. Um, for, for a guy like Cat, it's, it's basically a year or maybe even still less in terms of the games played on the floor together. But mm-hmm. I think it's been night and day difference for Ant, really for all the teammates, and, and even Rudy himself. I, I think, you know, at times last year he looked lost in terms of what he was supposed to do offensively. Um, He's had, I think his mindset has been absolutely the right mindset. I mean, look back to that Clipper game last week, and, and maybe you and yeah. Alan talked about it a little bit, but he missed some free throws, uh, Rudy did, in that, in that game, and, you know, Clipper bench was laughing at him. But then later in the game, he, he knocked down, I think, four clutch free throws down the stretch of the fourth quarter when the Wolves held off a, a Clipper rally, and I think that made a huge difference. Just, just his confidence, I think, that's kind of a snapshot of, 
how much more confident and, and comfortable he is on, on both ends of the floor. Is he on his way to the Defensive Player of the Year award, or what are you hearing around the league with your, your contacts? That, that's a great question. We talk to, you know, when different teams come in, um, there, there are so many deserving candidates. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, I don't have a vote, and I, I, I'm almost glad I don't because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough position to be in. Yep. But I think now with the way the league operates, that they almost, and it, it's, it's unfair to Rudy, I think, but there's more weight put on those perimeter players who can, can either go out and, and defend positions one through five, um, we're going to see a guy later this week, Mikel Bridges, for the, the Brooklyn Nets. He was in that conversation uh, when he was with Phoenix, and then when he got traded from Phoenix to Brooklyn as part of that Kevin Durant deal, he's still a lockdown defender. You know, there are so many worthy candidates. I, I think it, it almost, if, if the Wolves keep on this pace and, and stay right near the top of the Western Conference, I, I think you'd have to argue really hard why he doesn't deserve the award. But also, having just passed the halfway point, I think we're still going to have to see the rest of these games unfold and, and see maybe some of the other players that, that continue to make big impacts. Um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy position. I, I would say he's the front runner right now, but we, we still have a half of a season left. At Washington tomorrow night, uh, we'll join the broadcast coverage at 6. The tap will be about 6.08 or right in there. Alan Horton on the call here on your Timberwolves affiliate going all the way back to the very first year of the Timberwolves. Cal, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, Todd. Thank you. You bet. Cal Soderquist, studio host for the Minnesota Timberwolves. On the Todd and Friends podcast, it's brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.